And when you find out you have to contribute something to it, then you're a little upset. This couldn't be God. God wouldn't do this to me. Is everybody awake or what y'all doing? I don't know what y'all doing, but I'm I'm handing out freebies here, and y'all, nobody's nibbling on them. But anyway, I'm going to keep handing them out as long as God says do it. But, you know, I, I just believe that, that nothing's free. And if you're looking for something free from God, you're a thief. I get everybody's attention. You're not his child. You're a thief. Children know that they're already blessed by being in the family. Everything else you get is gravy. But many times we want something and we're not willing to contribute anything to the process. Many times we don't want God to give God our enough attention for him to give us enough faith for us to get out and do something with it to be blessed. there so I say that to say look at the quality of Dr. Summerall's education look at all the books he's written if you go on his website all of his sermons are there in the form of a syllabus where you can read it line for line note for note he left a very uh, uh, fruitful record of his knowledge of the word of God because he was willing to contribute his part to learning he didn't go to dr uh, uh, carter and say just teach me and pour out to me and i don't do anything for you uh, y'all don't want to get it i'm leaving it right back over there in your court you either receive it or you don't but that's how covenant works it is two ways Many times we want things from God and we want him to do all the work. He died on the cross, already did all of that, and we want him to do everything else to get it into our laps. It don't work like that. You have to contribute something. It puts forth some effort in the word of God, building your faith. When you get faith in you from the word, get out and do something with it. Use it. Put it to work. Make it come alive. Exercise it. So this is a lifestyle of working and serving and being rewarded for that amen and so that's how you get the best you're willing to give your best you invest uh, in a like manner Uh, nobody feels comfortable just receiving all the time don't be a freeloader amen be somebody who's willing to do your part and get the maximum out of what god has for you the Bible says if somebody's sown spiritual things in your life, they're entitled to reap your carnal fruits. People aren't ripping you off because you, you have to pay your way. It's expected. And so when and that's how you get the most out of any situation. You contribute the most. Don't feel bad about having to go the extra mile, what you think is the You know, our extra mile is just barely tapping the surface as far as God is concerned. Praise the Lord. So we're going to talk about angels. Amen. This is how you get great knowledge in God. You put forth effort. Amen. Uh, You do what God tells you to do. You connect with the right people. 
and stay connected. You know, no matter what happens, no matter what comes against you, you stay connected with the right sources and you'll always have the things that God ordains for your life. So it's it's a good thing to know that that's how that works. So on page 21, we have categories of angels, their names and ranks. So <clears throat> we have a real challenge in the body of Christ uh, where people lose a loved one and uh, then they put wings on them. You see pictures of these people with wings on them where they've turned into angels. And you as Christians need to be able to inform people that that's not what happened to their loved one. You know, it's funny when people when people are alive, they don't get a lot of spiritual attention. But when they're dead, then everybody wants to hang some kind of reward on them, whether they've earned it or not. You got me? And so we have to be uh, vigilant in, in looking at these as opportunities to share Christ with people and share the good news with them. It says here, whether you've ever served in the armed forces or not, I'm sure you're acquainted with how the military ranks its enlisted men and officers. In the Army, for example, we have generals at the top and then down through colonels, majors, captains, and lieutenants. And enlisted men also may be identified by different ranks and responsibilities. Do you know that just like the military, God also ranks angels? So whenever there is a multitude, there has to come order. Whenever there is a multitude, there must come order. Remember when Jesus fed the 5,000 people? What did he have them do first? Sit down. Get in some smaller groups and sit down. Why do you think he did that? Number one, he was letting them know they would be fed. So there, he put expectation in their hearts to be fed. You need corporate faith to do something. You can't have corporate chaos and corporate grumbling and get God's work done. Moses found that out. Whenever people would, would uh, complain against God and get angry at Moses, he would wind up doing something in the flesh because they upset him. So Jesus decided we ain't going through that. We're not having mob rule around here. We're not having chaos and disorder. We are having order in this multitude of people. Of course, now if you're out on the protest march thing, there's disorder there. You know, they live on disorder. But if you're going to get the things of God done, you must have order, rank, and structure so that the peace of God can rule the faith of God can rule, and so people will begin to get their blessing. And so what Jesus did was sat them all down. He told the disciples, you get in order first. That's very important. The, the people who work with you have to be orderly people. You got me? You cannot have chaotic people like the disciples. Gentlemen. Well, what are we going to do? And everything else, shut up. You go get busy and start ordering. So in, when Jesus gave instructions, he started with his disciples, the 12, that worked with him. They were being trained to carry out the work of the ministry 
after he was gone, so he always included them in everything that he did. Uh, when you give instruction to people who work under you to do certain things, you're not just throwing off stuff you don't want to do. I'm going to say it again, because this, this is why sometimes when you're living home with mom and dad, you don't learn very much. Because the devil's always telling you, well, she should get up and do that. Why is she so lazy? I, I was a kid, too. I remember what the devil would tell me about my mother. You got me? And I'm glad mother made us do as much as she did because I'm old enough now to look at other generations and see the result of not being responsible and not having parents that challenged you to learn and fought with you when they had to so that you had to learn something. You got me? My mother was determined we were not going to get loosed into the world not knowing how to take care of ourselves and others as well. Amen, because that's what life is all about. And so, uh, uh, so anyway, where was I? I got all off on stuff. Um, yeah, about having order in things. And so Jesus would give to his disciples so that they could carry the spirit of whatever it was that was needed to help the people. The spirit of God is transferred through use. Got me? It's transferred through use. For instance, if 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 Miss Nola is going to get up and do the offering, she has to be able to know that God would be with her when she speaks. She can't get up there and be nervous and bumbling and fumbling and never find God to help her. Got me? Well, that doesn't just happen overnight. That comes through experience with God, that comes through prayer, that comes with meeting with God, that comes through the word, that comes with doing little things here and there to help myself and Pastor Shirley, whoever is in charge. That's how you get that. Eh, whatever. Go downstairs with the Zumba people then if you don't want You understand what I'm saying? And see, people, if you think it happens any other way, you're gravely mistaken. You're gravely mistaken. People get frustrated because I've been coming to this church for all these years and, and I don't never learn how to do well. You've got to get involved in it. You've got to make that request known to God. And when somebody gives you something to do, you've got to do it to the best of your ability. Make yourself available and get busy. You got me? Just do what, what's, what you're given to do. How we got here, I don't know. But anyway, you understand what I'm saying. You you don't you don't get anointed just sitting back, coming when you want to, being interested when you want to, doing prayer sometimes, skipping it most of the. You don't <laughs> you get what you you get out of it what you put into it. You don't put any interest into it. It won't help you. See, that's the get mentality. I don't know how this got in the church, but we used to be people who were anxious to serve, who were humble people, who were willing to serve. Now we got a bunch of arrogant people sitting up here waiting on power and anointing to do what? You don't have a heart to help people. You, you won't get power from God. That anointing is to help somebody else. Not for you. Try to get famous off of but you must have 
order. If you're going to have a flow of power, you have to have order. Order. And so God structured the angels of heaven in rank and order. They had certain duties. They were under the authority of certain other ones. And that's how the structure went. So God also ranks angels. He says our Lord even used military term once in connection with angels. When Jesus was about to be taken in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter took out a sword and tried to protect the one he had come to love and serve. And Jesus said, do you think that I cannot pray to my father and he shall presently give me more than 12 legions of angels? Legion was a Roman term that referred to 5,000, I'm sorry, 6,000 soldiers. So what Jesus is saying here is that he could get at at one request would have 72,000 angels there just to help him. Amen. Know that if he can get that, you can get that too. Huh? If he can get it, you can get it. Why? Because you're carrying out the will of God. Just make sure you know what the will of God is and start carrying it out. The word legion was a Roman military designation referring to about 6,000 soldiers. In a general sense, probably the largest group of angels is what we would might call the ordinary angels. These are uh, um, angels who are dispatched by higher-ranking angels to carry out the Lord's will. So an ordinary angel might be somebody assigned to you, your family, your children. It might be an angel that's assigned to carry out duties to to uh, stand guard uh, to make sure the atmosphere is right in a place. You got me? Sometimes angels are dispatched to keep order in situations where we're interceding. For instance, I can remember uh, praying for divine order. Uh, uh, many, many years ago, uh, I was out for dinner on my birthday. I think it was 93 1993, and I saw this uh, famous car chase with O.J. Simpson and his friend Al Cowlings in the back of the Bronco. And it was going through the streets of L.A., and there were a lot of people cheering him on and hoping he did. I guess the police are pretty much hated in that city. There's a lot of hatred in California, different places for some reason or another. But, you know, it's a place where there's a lot of protest, a lot of... Uh, you know, when when I was younger, like in the 60s and 70s, people were always trying to get to California so they could smoke a lot of dope, sleep around, you know, stay high all the time because it's very liberal uh, in the way that they are oriented. But uh, after that, I started watching what was going on, and I thought to myself, I said, well, Lord, this man needs prayer. I said, in in he needs prayer that he would have a fair trial and that truth would come out. And and you need to do that with anybody who's standing in a courtroom. It would shock you the people who are falsely imprisoned 
because nobody prayed for truth to come out at the trial. A lot of times people know they're innocent and they assume that will come out of a trial and then they get all these people who will, will you know, lie and, and false witness against them and pretty soon they're in there during time for something they did not do. And oftentimes there's very little evidence to prove that there is any guilt there, you know, and so forth and so on. Now they've gotten so sophisticated, they'll let somebody be uh, tried for murder without a body being discovered. And I realize sometimes there's a lot of evidence pointing to certain things, but you have to be careful in these situations because they can either go for or against you if you don't have prayer. And I remember praying uh, many times over for truth. Just God, let the spirit of truth come into this situation. Let your truth be known. Because there was so much publicity and so many people who were saying he was guilty before he even had a trial. And there are people who say he's guilty now, even after he's been acquitted, so many years after he's been acquitted. Some of you probably sitting there convinced he's guilty. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, that's no indictment against you. That's just the way, listen, atmospheres control what people think. You stay in God's atmosphere and you will know the truth. Amen? But if you don't stay in God's atmosphere, you'll just, and it's not even your opinion, it's what you hear and what you agree with in your heart. Atmospheres control what we hear, see, think, control our opinions, all of that stuff. And so you have to make sure that you create an atmosphere that's conducive to God moving, God's truth, God's work, all of that stuff being performed, or you will wind up with a devil's mushmash of nonsense. And so when we, when we ask God to let truth prevail... That means that he has to mobilize this team of what Brother Summerall refers to as ordinary angels to go and stand guard in these places. You need angels in the courtroom. You need angels in the, the jail cell to protect prisoners. There's, there's a lot of work that angels do for those, the Bible who says, who will be heirs of salvation. And angels are great intercessors because they will intervene and make sure uh, a, a holy atmosphere is maintained because that is their job to, to create holiness. Why do you think they cry holy, holy around the throne room all the time? Because what they project is what they carry. So when they stand in the presence of the holy God, they are, are, are releasing and receiving his holiness continually all the time. That's why they can go and, and bring divine order. They can go and bring truth where it would be hard for anybody to lie in their presence because angels are dispatched in these areas where we're praying for truth to prevail. It was interesting, uh, O.J. Simpson's mother was a Pentecostal woman. So was his ex-wife, his first wife. They were raised in a Pentecostal church. He was too. So don't ever, don't judge people. Find out what you're looking at before you judge people. So if there's another believer accused, what are you going to do? You're going to ask God to bring truth out. You got me? And, and allow that truth to prevail. 
And so his mother prayed and had many, many people praying for him. It is said that a lot of the stuff, evidence that they found that was was uh, pivotal during his trial was found uh, miraculously. Um, there was a situation where the, the um, Mark Furman, that policeman that... Uh, they, there was a big thing about the N-word. If you, do you have any racial prejudice in you? Some woman had interviewed him 10 years earlier and for some reason never threw the tape away. And that's where they got that evidence where he they'd ask him many times on the stand, did you ever use this? No, I haven't, no, I haven't, no. And then they played a tape and he's all over the place with it. You got me? And, and many of the things that came to them during that trial just happened and there's somebody walk in and hand it to them. And many people praying. Johnny Cochran's a Christian. There are many Christians. You know, there are a lot of people who are, are, they may not live for God openly the way they should, but deep down, when the, the deal goes down and they need something, they know to pray. They need to know to find saints to pray for them. They know how to call on the name of the Lord. And so this is something that you can't judge it by the way you serve God, what you think serving God is. You just have to let God show you these things. And so there were many, many things that happened that were miraculous. The most dramatic one was a stupid glove. Nobody, that glove sat there all that time, you know, and nobody was smart enough to pick it up and look at it and see if it could ever fit that man's hand. And on national television, they tell them to try it on. That was supposed to be the piece of evidence that was going to convince everybody. And so the jury made up their minds and said the evidence just wasn't there. Uh, You don't convict people on what you think. You convict people on evidence. How many of you served on a jury before? How many of you served on a jury? The people who serve on juries will tell you that there's something that happens to them when they take that oath. They make up their minds. they got to be serious about what they're doing. It's hard for them to lie. and It's hard for them to, to do anything other than the right thing. Now, now, many times they do, but it's hard. You got me? Because that oath means something. And so when we pray, and we pray for justice, we pray for truth, we pray for the right thing to happen, we pray for God to be in control and prevail, he does that by dispatching angels into situations, okay? So these are the multitudes of what uh, Brother Summerall calls ordinary angels. And so they are innumerable. You can't number them. We're not sure why, but the Bible says you can't. Amen? And so when, when you can't number something, that means it'll go on forever. The, it means that they're powerful. Their power cannot be exhausted because there's an innumerable number of them. So it says here, most of the time when angels are mentioned, they're other, otherwise unidentified who are re- being referred to in their ordinary angels. And he says, to speak of ordinary angels seems a contradiction in terms, however, for how could these extraordinary created beings be considered just something routine? Yet in one sense, this designation is proper when we contrast them with the several special classes or orders of angels that the Bible mentions. 
The first order is the cherubim. Judging from various scripture references, I believe the cherubim rank at the very top of God's angelic creation, both in power and in beauty. Now the word cherubim is plural, cherub is single, singular, okay? So it says they are uh, they're at the very top of God's angelic creation, both in power and in beauty. They are, in fact, the first of the angelic order to appear in the Bible right after Adam and Eve's fall from grace. Genesis 3 records the events in the Garden of Eden. Having violated God's command not to partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it would have been possible for Adam and Eve to reach out their hands and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Now, we, we are to live forever. Uh, but the way to live forever God's way is to come to repentance of your sin, receive his indwelling spirit, and then that is your eternal life. The Holy Spirit cannot come into you without you repenting of sin. He's not going to share his space with you and the devil and all the stuff you want to do. So when you repent, you come into a knowledge of God through renouncing sin, renouncing the old way. Well, if, if that angel had not blocked them from the tree of life, they could have eaten of that and lived eternally in a fallen condition, which means you go to hell and there was no help for you. So really keeping them out of the garden was God's mercy. Amen. That's a mercy move. It's not something to just deprive them or punish them, but it was God's mercy. He said, man, if they go in there and eat of the tree of life again in this condition, they'll live forever in a fallen state. And so that's why the cherubs were were, uh, sent there and to guard that. And he says, so they had to be expelled from their earthly paradise. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So no more heavenly, only earthly. Amen. Says, but what, but what would have prevented Adam from returning to the garden and disobey God once more? The verse gives this answer. God placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims with a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. So angels guard the way to the tree of life, which means that for you as an individual, the way to eternal life is guarded by angels. The Bible says, are they not ministering spirits to those who are the heirs of salvation? So they keep the way of the tree of life in the Garden of Eden, but also they keep you in your life and guide you to the tree of life so you can be saved. And so they are very instrumental in our salvation. They are very instrumental in our uh, uh, salvation from, from destruction before we're saved. 
How many of you have had close calls before you came to know the Lord? We've all escaped uh, certain death, sudden injury, uh, destruction. Angels protected you from that. They ministered to you and helped you escape from these. Now, they weren't visible, but you know for a fact that there are some people that died prematurely. You're not one of them. Amen? Mm-hmm. So, again, they're keeping the way of the tree of life. They are there to minister or serve. How do, you get, how do they serve you? They serve you by protecting you. They serve you by guiding and directing you away from harm. They serve you by uh, standing at attention attentively uh, to your needs, whatever your need is. I know there are times that I, and I depend on the Holy Spirit more now than I ever did. I'll, I'll, you know, just be too lazy to go look for something. I'll ask God, God, can you show, please show me where that is? You know, and all of a sudden my eyes on my head, it's like somebody's turning my head and look at it. You got me? Uh, they do all of that stuff for us. They help us. We need help. Amen. We need help. Our, our power, supernatural powers, are very limited. They're limited to what God allows us to see. And, and they're also um, very often life keeps us kind of caught up and not able to focus as well as we need to uh, to stay in the realm of the spirit where we can have greater knowledge. And so when that knowledge is needed, then angels come and minister that truth and that knowledge to us. So anyway, uh, he says, what a terrible thing it would have been if Adam had eaten of the tree of life and so had been forever confirmed in his fallen state. To prevent that, God sent a contingent of glorious and trusted cherubim to guard access to the tree. What Adam's reaction was to seeing for the first time in human history those glorious cherubim, we are not told. Awe, fright, wonder, perhaps. Perhaps Adam experienced all these emotions as the truth struck home that his act of sin had severed him from the fellowship and presence of the Holy God. Also, the garden was where life was easy. If you don't think he tried to get back in there. (laughs) Strangely enough, the next appearance of the cherubim in the Bible concerns regaining what was lost. Exodus 25, Moses was given explicit and detailed instructions on how to make various articles of furniture that would be used in the tabernacle. The first described was the Ark of the Covenant and the Mercy Seat, where God promised to meet and commune with Moses. What did God wish to place on top of or over the mercy seat? He chose representations of the cherubim in gold. Read the fascinating description God gave Moses. And you shall make two cherubims of gold, of beaten work you shall make them, in the two ends of the mercy seat. And make one cherub on one end and the other cherub on the other end. Even of the mercy seat shall you make the cherubims on the two ends thereof. And the cherubims shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings. And their faces shall look one to another. Toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubims be. 
So if you can say this is the top of the ark and this is the mercy seat, there's one angel here, one angel there. They face each other and their wings overshadow the mercy seat, you know, denoting holiness. Amen. Because whenever they had to go into the holy of holies, they had to bring blood. And we know there's without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. And so blood had to cover the mercy seat so that a sinful man could come in and find mercy and not be killed right there on the spot. And so we know now that Jesus entered into the Holy of Holies once and for all, not without blood. He went in and took his own blood that was shed once for all eternity. Amen. So that blood ministers mercy, restoration. Huh? You get it all back that the devil's stolen. You get your holiness. You get your condition made whole, number one. Amen. And in your holy condition, now you can carry out everything God wants you to do on earth without hindrance because of what he's done for us. And he says, and the cherubim shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings. Their faces shall look one to another. Toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubims be. So what a great sight this must have been, the cherubim associated with the very presence of God. And so angels guard and maintain the presence of God in situations. I remember when we would first have our conferences, you know, God would show us where angels were stationed in the meetings. How many of y'all remember that? We would call them the drunk spot. You could stand there and get get almost slain in the spirit and not fall over because they would hold you up. Amen. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, it's just good to go to know these things. See, if I said this in front of a group of other people, most people would not believe it. Thank God you have faith to believe that you understand what I'm saying. You, I mean, it's a blessing to have faith to believe supernatural things are real and they're available to us. He says, uh, uh, now God does send uh, angels of mercy to help our needs because they cover the mercy seat. We know that the cherubim probably can, can dispatch lesser angels to help us. And so when uh, we have a prayer on the altar of mercy before God, it does cause the death angel to pass over us. So the fact that you have prayed for somebody to be healed, that prayer is still on the mercy seat, amen, until it comes to pass. And so God dispatches holy angels to guard over and protect that situation. And he also uh, causes the death angel to pass over. Amen. When that angel sees the blood of Jesus Christ, he must pass over. Amen. And allow life to come in to your situation. So that's why the blood was applied. That's why we enter the plea of the blood of Jesus in our situations. We don't go to God and say, well, God, you know, I've been good. I've done this. I know most of us are way too smart for that by now. But sometimes you can, you can have a little bit of self-righteousness and assume that 
you can have something from God. You understand? Humility really petitions God for mercy, not for what you suppose I have. Mm-hmm. You know, you get in that suppose situation, you might get the wrong thing, you know, because somebody hears that prayer. If God's not honoring it, somebody will work on it and try to bring it to you. You understand what I'm saying? So we have to watch those things. Always depend on the mercy of God because that's, that's where your prayers are ministered over. They're ministered in mercy, not what you, you do, what, not your rights, as a, you know, your covenant rights and all this. So you better do some sowing to get some rights. You know what I'm saying? You might get what you rightfully deserve. So we have to be careful. Our attitude, uh, stay humble before God always, always stay humble. It says, from those two references in Scripture, it appears as though the cherubim's major responsibility may be to declare the sinfulness of man and protect the presence of God from sinful men. Amen. No doubt Adam never forgot the sight of the cherubim and he longed to return to the Garden of Eden, but they reminded him that he had transgressed the commandment of God. Once a year, the high priest of Israel would be permitted into the Holy of Holies. There he could look upon the mercy seat. I'm sure he must have felt on each occasion, I don't belong here in the holy presence of God, for I am a sinner. So angels will bring, because of their holiness, they will bring a certain conviction on sin because really they are dispatched in in certain areas to remove demonic spirits from those places and replace them with them. So whenever you call on, on holy angels of God, they are oftentimes displacing demonic spirits and taking their place and ruling and reigning for God in that situation. Amen. That's how spiritual warfare is waged. It's waged because of our petitions and our prayers and our words. And then angels go to work, dislodging ones that that don't line up with what we've requested and then replacing them with themselves. And so that's how atmospheres are maintained holy so that God's work can get done and, and the presence of, of demons is, is diminished or discouraged. or They're held at bay and dislodged. Amen. Uh, you know, that's why many times when we come into these places where we, we, we don't own the building, so to speak, uh, we have to make sure that we get the atmosphere cleared so that you can do work here because you don't know what the last person that was in here said or did or who they called on and so you have to do that you know many times you do it by discernment and by sensing in the spirit you try to pray and the atmosphere doesn't support what you're saying and it's godly stuff then you have to dislodge what's holding it up or you have to struggle the whole time with, with, you know, what you're doing. And I don't believe in doing that. I believe in your faith working. So, you know, use your authority to get rid of the junk. And, uh, you know, you'll be able to, to have a good, good meeting, a good time. The atmosphere will support what you preach. It won't fight what you preach. You know, that kind of stuff. So you, you have to do these things. And angels make the atmosphere conducive to holiness, to holy things happening in there. So it's a good thing to do that. Um, the other group are the seraphim. 
another group of specifically identified angels is the seraphim, uh, are the seraphim. In the Hebrew language, seraphim means burning ones. Burning how? Why? I believe it refers to their burning devotion toward God from hearts that are on fire to serve him. Isaiah 6 tells us of the seraphim. Isaiah recorded his glorious visions in these words. He said, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Now, when that happens, that means no devils are in there. Amen. Nothing but God. He takes up the whole thing. It says, above it stood seraphims. Each one had six wings. So these are six winged angels. Amen. He says, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he did fly. You notice that there's four wings for covering and one, one set of wings, two wings for movement. It says, what were seraphim doing? And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, I believe those are prophetic words. I believe that those angels are called to carry out exactly what they say. Is that everywhere that they go, the holiness of God is there and the glory of God follows. The prophet recognized at once that he had no right to be in the holy presence of God and he confessed as much. So one of the seraphim took a burning coal from the altar and touched Isaiah's lips to cleanse his iniquity and purge his sin. So seraphim have wings. They proclaim the holiness of God. They indicate to men their need to be cleansed from sin. Take your shoes off for the place where you stand is holy ground. So they prepare us to meet a holy God. They teach us how to prepare ourselves to be in the presence of God. So that's part of the angel's ministry to the human beings is to help us stay away from sin, declare the glory of God, and keep us in the presence of God. It says here, um, okay, and the, the next group is the living creatures. The third special group of angels is called, in King James Version, the four beasts. But a better translation would be the four living creatures. These angels, like the seraphim, have six wings. Revelation 4.8 declares, and the four beasts, living creatures, had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within and they rest not day and night. If they're full of eyes, what what do I what are eyes for? Angels there for decorative purposes, amen. So these are probably watchers as well. Amen. They watch to report to God what they see and to do something about it. So I believe the living creatures and it says they rest not day and night saying, Holy, 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 Lord God of God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. So they have also a prophetic word in their mouths. Amen. They rest not day and night because they watch to make sure the holiness of God is maintained wherever they are. 
So where they, wherever they are dispatched to, they are dispatched to maintain the holiness of God. Their ministry then is to worship God and give him glory throughout all time and eternity. We read of them again in Revelation 5, 7, and 19. In each instance, they are depicted in an attitude of worship and praise. In Revelation 15, however, they participate in the pouring out of the wrath of God on unrepentant men. So they are watching to judge. And they're watching to report to God how things are going in the earth. It's interesting. They're probably, the mind is probably real busy now with a lot of what is tolerated both by the church and by the secular world in the earth. Never has godlessness been so pronounced as it is now. But isn't it good to know that we have living creatures called angels who watch. They rest not day and night. They are watchers on the earth. And they go back to heaven and declare God's holiness and receive of his holiness. I believe that when the angels encamp around God in the throne room, they are receiving from him. They are receiving impartation from him. As they pronounce holy, they receive that back because you can't sow without reaping the same thing back. And so as long as they declare the holiness of God, they maintain their own holiness and their ability to function normally under the anointing of God, under the glory of God. They declare that the whole earth is filled with, that's a prophetic declaration. They are carrying to spread the glory of God over the whole earth. So their ministry to the earth is extremely important because they begin to declare God's glory. If we will declare it, I believe they hear that and they see that and they dispatch themselves to our aid and to our help. You're never without help. When you go somewhere to pray for somebody, understand that angels are dispatched with you to help clear that atmosphere so that your prayer will be heard. Don't ever fear that you won't, you know, what do I do if I get there and, you know, everybody's making noise or, you know, whatever, whatever. It won't happen. God will prepare that atmosphere. But you got to believe for that. You're not, it's just not about you. You don't carry anything but you. God equips those that he calls and he sends and dispatches. Your equipment is there for you. You've got to believe for your spiritual equipment. Uh, if you just don't want to believe that, that's up to you. But, you know, give, make, it, make some effort to believe that God is with you. Make a little effort to believe that God will help you. You're not in this by yourself. It's not about you going in to, to uh, save somebody or heal somebody. It's about you being obedient to God and depending on him to, to produce that blessing that needs to be produced in that atmosphere. So these living creatures have other duties, and God is not revealed to us, but the brief insights are intended to draw us up short to a realization that God is holy and will not let sin go unpunished. These, these living creatures are watching for something. And if they are declaring God's glory, they are watching for places where the glory is needed. Because if you declare something, you are, you are putting that in the place of something else. You got me? And if they're on alert 
to the the uh the sinfulness of man they go into sinful places and declare the glory of god so that his glory and his holiness prevail that's how it happens it's not just our words speaking things into existence get real that's not what your words do your words position you and position your faith so that can be used by God to do what he needs to do. You're not, you don't have that kind of power. Humans don't have that power. There are spiritual forces that must come to the aid of those words so that those words can carry through their intent. It, it, these are all, and these are ministered over by God. The Bible says Jesus is the high priest over our profession or confession. So a holy God must minister over your words first. They don't just shoot out there and create and speak into existence. That's not what your words do. And I know we've been taught that. We've been told, don't believe that. That's not right. You need a holy person to minister over those words and get them set in divine order so that they're carried out at the right time. See, if you say that, you then that makes you wonder, well, I've been confessing this. Why hasn't it happened yet? I'm going to get you to the point where you don't have to worry about that anymore. Just release that word and let God capture it, and he can minister over it, but give him something to work with. You got me? So your words give God something to work with so that it falls in order. Your words have effect in things other than just your life. Did you know that? When God tells you to pray or declare something, and you see something on television that's not right, and you begin to pray. Like that little girl that was just found up somewhere else. And where people were concerned about is she dead? And they dragging the river looking for this little girl. She up somewhere. See, that's because words have been spoken to bring her back to her family. Did she come back the first day? No. Second day? No. Third day, but the parents, oh, the parents are suffering so, and na, 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 na. Somebody has to minister over them words to get things lined up so that they can come to pass. You know, the, if you knew the work involved in getting your confession to do what it's supposed to do, you wouldn't be so concerned about it. Just release that word, give it to God, and let him bring it to pass in its right season. So we have to understand about the seasons of different words and things of that nature. Uh, I was told that the uh, fireman who prophesied about Trump's presidency thought it would happen in 2012. It was delayed. You know why? Because the church is still talking about getting rich in a, some kind of wealth transfer. God's got to get us off of our, our nursing our bottle that we like to suck on all the time. And get us to grow up and understand this is about, do you see these women with with female body parts on their heads? You know how deranged you'd have to be to to make yourself go out in public like that? There's got to be some mercy. We got to pray for, that's the problem right there, is the devil is making people so depraved, they don't care how they look. They Ashley Judd is mentally ill, folks. That woman, she should no more have had a microphone in her hand. 
Love would cover her and help her to recover her sanity so she's not out there embarrassing herself. One day, praise God, when she gets her sanity back, she'll look back and say, what was wrong with me? What was in me to make me do and say those kinds of things? You understand what I'm saying? That's what love does. But, you know, there's people, there's Christians out there supporting this kind of stuff because they think think just like the world thinks. That the problem is that we don't have, women don't have enough. I don't know what else you want, but use what you got. If you belong to God and you're a woman, use what you got. You got me? And you use it for God's glory, he'll give you more of it. But if you don't use things for God's glory, you'll exhaust them real soon. That's, that's not my fight. My fight, my wrestle is against principalities and powers. It's not against some inequality or something like that. People have been treated unjustly since people have been in this earth. And sin has been in this earth. But God. That's just a signal for you to call on the name of the Lord. If you people aren't treating you right, you call on God. He'll make sure you get treated right if you serve him. Praise God. Amen. Amen. We're going to do our quiz now before we run off to dinner.